Stay golden. Hurricane. Welcome back to the Golden Hurricast. We are, if you don't know, a weekly podcast covering Golden Hurricane Athletics at the University of Tulsa. I'm Ryan Token. I'm Matt Rexine. Uh And Tulsa had maybe the first ever true game day experience like since I've been there. And when I talk true game day experience, I'm talking big school, tailgating, lots of fans, tons of festivities, like obviously the university has put a lot of money and resources into the tailgate experience. And I feel like this is, I don't want to say the culmination because that makes it sound like it's going to end. And I think this is just kind of the, the first. Yeah. Well, and even that is like, I feel like this is just a precursor. Like this is obviously probably the biggest it's going to be this year. You kind of have a huge matchup against an in-state quote rival uh, you've got a big artist. I mean, it's it was just like the perfect storm. But I mean, they then come out and talk about some of their rest of the year uh, concert stuff and plans. And so I don't know. I just it was an incredible atmosphere. And so before we even get to the game, let's just talk about that a little bit. Yeah, for sure. Um, agree with you that it is not the like the end point of this tailgate experience. But I think unquestionably, in my opinion. Uh, so I guess it could be questionable because if this is in my opinion, maybe you disagree. But in my opinion, this was easily um, the best version of their tailgate they've ever done. Uh, primarily just because of what you mentioned. It was packed. It was the first sellout in Chapman Stadium since 2009. That was going around like crazy. I'm sure you heard. But if not, first sellout since 2009 when they did the whole remodel Chapman Stadium. Um, and you could tell it was so busy. There were so many people on Chapman Commons, uh, the new you. It was wild to me. Um, like I expected that, you know, you, you know, that's happening when it's OU coming in, you know, there's going to be a lot of OU people there. But that tailgate was blue, man. It was, there were TU people everywhere, probably way more at the tailgate that actually than actually went into the game stadium small, you know, I know it was a sellout, but like, I know for sure, not everybody that was on that tailgate went into the game. Um, it was awesome. Sean Kingston was fantastic. I thought he more than delivered. I thought he sounded great live and I hadn't listened to him in so long. I didn't know what to expect. You know, who knows after that long, Um, but he sounded great. The crowd, it was packed all in front of him. People were going nuts. Uh, Matt and I were there for a bachelor party and several people in that party were like very impressed. And they're all people that are not, not all lots of those folks are not TU fans that go to things like this. And they were all blown away by this entire experience. Um, Both the, tailgate in general and also sean kingston himself like how good he sounded um so i could not be happier with that i don't think it's ever going to be better than that i really don't like the maybe the the fine details get better and better over time but the fact that it was unless we start selling out games like wild i don't think the environment is ever going to be that awesome again like just the people there gave it another level of energy that is there like i think they've done an amazing like you called out I think they've done an amazing job with the tailgates the last two years. Um, and I think that's, it's always going to be very good as long as they continue down this path that they're on. Uh, but I think this might be the best ever. Like, uh, and I, like you made the comment early of this felt like the first true big game experience. I don't necessarily agree with that. Like I, you know, you go to Mizzou tech, maybe this is just the bubble I live in, in Mizzou. 
maybe their tailgate scene isn't that great in general, but like the, the tailgate that I, the tailgates I go to at Mizzou are fun, but it's just like a ton of people in a parking lot doing the normal tailgate thing. Right. You're like playing cornhole and grilling food and watching the game on somebody's thing and walking around a little bit. Um, maybe Mizzou has something like the U and I I've just never been to it. I, I can, I know they have something like the U, but like tailgating on the U uh, maybe they do stuff like that. And there's like rides and prizes and all this crazy stuff that TU does now. Um, but I've never seen it. I don't think every school does that like big schools. So I have been so impressed uh, by TU's continued deliverance in terms of what they're going for on this thing. Uh, it just gets better all the time. And this was the best it's ever been. Maybe it'll get back to that again with, you know, some other big game. I know, you know, homecoming probably is the easiest one to point to for this season. Apparently there's a big artist coming for that too. Um, but I just can't get over how awesome, how awesome the OU one was and how happy I was that that lived up to the hype. Yeah, I think it, you know, this is kind of the perfect opportunity um, to build off of. Because I think a lot of what Tulsa is trying to do with the tailgate is to make it a place where Tulsa citizens, not necessarily TU fans, want to come. Mm -hmm. And I think, you know, the number of OU fans that live in Tulsa that came to this event is probably pretty high. And so, you know, they get a taste for what it's like. And I think the hope uh, is that, all right, well, they're not going to go to Norman every week for games. Uh, Either OU's not there or they just, you know, Norman's not super. I mean, it's it's an hour and a half. It's still like an all day kind of thing. And to kind of draw, get those people to come and be like, okay, Tulsa, that can be my second team. I'll go and I'll enjoy the game. And so I kind of hope that is what sticks a little bit um, and that, you know, it starts to draw in the community more. And I think it has the potential to do that as well as weren't you telling me that there's like a requirement to get a mini game pack or something for OU tickets. And so sell single game tickets for that uh, officially, like you could buy them third party, but yeah. Right. And so it's like, okay, so some of those people probably will be at two more TU games potentially. Um, That's kind of the hope. And so, yeah, I think, and I think this is going to be compounded next year. I mean, we start our what ten game series against OSU starting next year, and so last time we played OSU in Tulsa, there are a lot of people that came in who are OSU fans, and I know a lot of OSU fans who kind of like live in Tulsa and end up getting season tickets because you know it's college football in the town that you live. So you know, I I think that the the yearly in state game is just could pay huge dividends just to get people to come. Totally. I agree. I think that's a big part of it. I think they're killing that side of it. I think that needs to happen for it to you. It's just, there are so few people that go to the university, right? Like you need people from the city. We've talked about that before. And that was a great way to, you know, I know they've been doing it for two years now almost, but this felt like a new start almost of like, man, a lot of people just saw that. And it was the best environment I've seen in the TU tailgate ever in my life. And everyone that like for the sold out crowd to see that was awesome. So hopefully that, you know, pays dividends over time, but I was, I was really happy with it. Um, the other thing I want to call out before we, before we move to the, the Oklahoma recap here. Um, did you watch this video, Matt? There was a video on Twitter. I just got around to watching it a couple of days ago. I didn't see it until like, I don't know, Sunday. Um, after the game, but I think the, probably the morning of the game, maybe the day, uh, the day before, um, TU, like the official athletics account put out what I'm calling a revenge video on Gus T, 
Um, do you see this thing? You watched it? I did. Um, I think you were more impressed by it than I was. So I'll let you kind of speak to it first. I am just very, yeah, I, I'm impressed by the video, but I'm also like more impressed by TU in this scenario. They like, they absolutely are not backing down from Gus T. And I respect the commitments to the bit here, right? Like he's gotten some, some hate, uh, you know, as a mascot, he, he kind of looks a little intense when you first see him. Uh, he's not the greatest looking mascot. Uh, I don't think he's that bad as I, you know, I've, I've commented on that before. I don't think he's the worst. Like some people seem to, but, um, they have like totally doubled down on Gus T. So they start off. If you haven't seen it, um, I'll try to remember to, to put a note in the, in the episode description here. Um, but it's on Twitter and I think probably Twitter these days, you have to have an account, which is annoying. So maybe it's also, it's, I'm sure it's also on Facebook or something, but, um, they, <laughs> they start out this video by straight up calling people out, like with their actual Twitter handles slash actual names who have made negative comments on Twitter about, about Gus T and how he looks and how he's a, a bad mascot, according to these folks. And they're just like screenshots, you know, screenshot after screenshot of these tweets about how he sucks. And like, I knew some of the people in these screenshots that made these comments, like absolutely know them, went to college with them. And so funny to me that they went that far and did that. And then the rest of the video, you know, so they, they start off very aggressive, right? I respect it. Um, but then the rest of the video is just very good. You know, it's not awesome from there. I mostly just like that. They started it off very like in your face. Uh, and the rest of it is just fun. You know, there's like the Rocky music playing in the background. Gus, he's working out Rocky style, trying to get better. He's reading a book called how to be a better mascot at one point in there, which I thought was very funny. He's also cradling Captain Kane's like decapitated head, which I assume is from the grave where Brad Carson buried him. Like that's what goes through my head for this. Uh, I don't know why that was seen was in there. Just one little cutout. He's just like holding Captain Kane's uh, head on its own. Very funny. And he just goes around campus, just like interacting with the students and stuff. And the rest of it is, is, you know, pretty normal and cool. Um, but I just thought it was very good. And like, I, he really, he actually is growing on me as a mascot. I didn't hate him from the beginning. So I don't know how people who hated on him feel now, but um, the more I see him, the more I like him, to be honest. Like I saw him at the game again, this past game against OU and he was doing the, like the team walk. You know, I put this on Twitter. Um, they get off the bus, they start walking to the stadium. Uh, he was just walking by, I shouted his name, like Gusty. And he like looked at me and did a few poses. I like got some pictures of him and he looked great. I thought he looked good in those pictures. Um, I think he's a good mascot. I, I'm pretty, pretty solid in that area now. Um, I know some of our friends are still a little iffy on him slash don't like him, but, uh, for whatever reason, maybe it's just my, my own bias toward liking most things to you. <laughs> like I like it. I like, he's definitely grown on me since, since last week or two weeks ago. Yeah. So I, maybe we're closer in our thoughts on the video um, than I thought. I really liked the beginning. I really liked that. I think that's kind of what he needs to lean into, not to be like a mean mascot necessarily, but to kind of be a little odd uh, to embrace, you know, the being a not like a crazy, but, you know, he's not as insane as, you know, the Philadelphia Flyers uh, mascot who I keep wanting to call Grimace. And I know it's not. It's like grit. Uh, all right. I have to look it up because <laughs> it's going to bother me. It's grit, gritty. Gritty is like a trash monster. He is like Sesame Street character uh, that is just uh, is on some rough times, to put it um, in a PG type of way. Um, 
but to kind of like there's a there's an image of Gus going around where he's like sneaking up on a reporter on the football field and it's like that one is cool that is like nightmare fuel like <laughs> that's kind of fun but I mean I, and I get the other side mascots are kind of like you know they're not for the diehard football diehard basketball like they're for getting interacting with all the other fans with the kids with the families stuff like that um so like i get he needs to be like nice and approachable but i want more unhinged gus t give me give me chaotic evil gus t what does that look like you chaotic know? neutral yeah that's just he, you don't know what he could do he could do anything that's that would be the perfect mascot in my mind yeah yeah i mean honestly i think that's I got, like all jokes aside you're probably that's probably true right you want him to do some crazy stuff and that's another plus side on the gusty thing, just to, to wrap up this little, this little section that we're on. But, um, and we've, I think we talked about it last week or the week before or whatever, but like, he is way, way more active in terms of just like physically, he is moving around way more than captain K never did. Um, and I don't know if we like, I don't know if this is a student in the mascot costume. I don't know if we hired somebody to like be a good mascot. Whoever's in there is doing a great job. I see them everywhere and they're, they look good in the costume. Generally they like from the costume has a little, some, you know, it's a little loose sometimes it looks like, but like he looks good or she looks good. Whoever's in there, it looks great in that thing Throw, moving around, running around, jumping, high-fiving all kinds of awesome stuff. So I think that's, I think that's great. I hope they, they keep that up. All right. Enough on Gus T, although that was very fun to talk about. Uh, let's move to some Oklahoma football, which is or Tulsa football against Oklahoma, uh, which is going to be way less fun to talk about probably. But on, honestly, there are some good parts in this game, at least to discuss. Not very many good parts happened on the field, but I'm looking forward to talking about some of this stuff. Um, final score of the game, if you're not aware, 66 to 17 in this one. That is not a cover against the spread. I did not bet on this one. So I, and I said, I also didn't end up betting against Washington, which I know I was hinting at maybe doing, uh, so one and one against the spread this year, I guess. Yeah. There was no spread against FCS, uh, or if there was, I'm not aware what it was. Um, so anyway, didn't lose that bet. That's good. Didn't bet on it. 66, 17 tough score. Tulsa is now 107 in the SP plus rankings. Matt, you called it out in our interview that we just did with Eddie Carifio, uh, for Northern Illinois preview, which we'll get to in a bit, but we, <laughs> In SP plus rankings, we are actually the number 132 defense in SP plus, which is uh second worst in the nation. There are 133 division one FBS football teams. Uh, that is rough. Obviously there is some bias there because we've been playing Washington and OU, two of the best, literally two top five offenses in the country. I think OU's is number five. Now Washington's is number two. Um, so like, it's, it's a tough deal for TU in two of its first three games, but still right now, as it stands, number 132 defensively in the SP plus rankings. And for comparison, we are 76th in offense, uh, Oklahoma moved up in both categories or no, actually they moved down in defense after this game. Uh, they're number five in offense. Now, number 22 defensively, they were like 17 or something last week. Um, they're trending but- the wrong way every week. They give up more points. Yeah. I mean, there you go. We did score more on them than, uh, than SMU, which is interesting seeing as like four of our first five possessions were interceptions basically, but really rough. Um, we'll get there. Uh, last thing before we start kind of on these talking points, um, got to touch on this before I forget everybody, the the biggest like fun talking point on this was Dylan Gabriel. And is he going to succumb to the Tulsa curse once again? And the answer was no, (laughs) he did did not succumb to the Tulsa curse. This was the Dylan Gabriel revenge game um, in this one. It was 28 to zero 
after the first quarter. Dylan was wheeling and dealing. We were giving him some ni- serving up some nice uh, field position for him with all these interceptions early in the game, but he looked really, really good. I think he ended like 28 for 31 or something uh, passing. It started off nine for nine. Um, there was, yeah, he was, we couldn't stop him, which has been the story of our defense so far. Again, we'll get there, but um, before we get into the talking points, man, I've got four of them. I want to talk, I think mostly three uh, QB saga. We'll talk about the defense. Um, some of the, some of the high end players uh, throughout the team kind of not really showing up. Those are the three I want to get to before we do that. Um, any high level stuff from the game you want to talk about that you don't want to forget about later or anything like that. No, I think everything that I like the, the obvious things that come to mind are the obvious things that we're going to talk about. You know, the what's going on at quarterback? What was that situation? Um, how we're getting absolutely torched on the edges, uh, or I guess out wide. Um, maybe it's a better way of saying that. Um, and then just kind of, yeah, I, I think literally that everything that you just mentioned, what we're going to talk about is all of my key points. Perfect. All right. Let's start with the QB saga, which is what we started with last week. Actually, two of these are the same. They are not going away. And I really hope they do. If we're talking about these again next week, I'm going to start getting sad. Um, But here we are. So we'll start with the quarterback situation. If you watch the game, you know the deal. Roman Fuller started the game. And okay, you know, on its face, that made sense. Because, you know, Braxton probably still hurt. He's been, you know, he's not in a boot anymore, which is good. So he's getting better. Um, but you know, probably still hurt Cardell. Maybe he's still hurt. He just hurt his thumb, you know, the game before, maybe he's not totally good enough to come back. Roman floor is going to be the starter. Going to be a long night. Went into that with the expectation. Um, with that expectation was, I saw him take the field. Uh, it starts as badly as it could have probably for him, which like really sucks. You know, he's going out big game, sold out crowd for the first time in forever. And he, he really comes out looking really shaky um, through three interceptions in the first quarter, three of his first four possessions were interceptions. Um, And it looked bad. Kevin Wilson was talking about this in his radio show and tried to take the blame off him for two of them. He said, one of them was just a bad throw, bad call on his part. He tried, he tried to take the blame for a play call uh, for the second one. Honestly, I don't remember the second one, so I can't remember what, what the deal is there that he's talking about. And then the first, the first one actually does make some sense to me on why you might excuse him for this. The first one was a pass down the sideline uh, to Devin Williams and Devin Williams, while he's having a great year, this was not a great play from him. He just kind of stopped running. Like he did not jump and try to hit this ball or get it in any way. He kind of gave up on it and it was a little overthrown. He probably wouldn't be able to catch it, but the fact that he stopped and didn't go up and try to make a play, let the defender just like, it just came right to him. Had he tried to make a play on that ball, he could have interfered with that in some way. Right. Um, but because he didn't, it was an easy pick. So Wilson gives the first one to Devin Williams, the second one to himself. And then and the third one to Roman Fuller, um, which is fine. I feel like you can say that all you want. Uh, and I think some of it is true, but at some point the fans don't care and the fans are going to going to not want to see him on the field anymore. Right. Um, despite what you might like, try to excuse because not everybody's going to hear that press conference or have the same sympathies toward him or anything like that. Right. So it sucks for Roman. Like, I don't know if he was nervous going to that game or if he was really excited because it was a huge sellout and all this stuff, but obviously that's not the way he wanted to start the game. So I feel for him. Uh, but he was put in that situation. Um, and you know, this is how it went down. The, the thing that like it drew everyone's like questions, um, was that 
four possessions into the game, Cardell Williams is in there. So like, where the hell was he? And why didn't he start the game? Uh, which I still don't really know the answer to. And Cardell played his ass off. Like his first two possessions were touchdowns. And then his fourth one was a field goal. Um, so really, really wild. And he looked really good. So, and I want your, your thoughts on this, obviously, Matt, like, why do you think Cardell didn't start slash didn't come in earlier? I did hear the only thing I'll add here is I heard Kevin Wilson say again um, in the radio show that he was planning on playing both of those guys. But also my question is why? Cause it seems so obvious, at least in hindsight now that Cardell is the better of the two. So I don't know. What do you think about this whole deal? Um, it's a really bizarre situation, but I don't know what to think about it. Yeah. I have no clue what to think about it either. Cause in the post game presser, you know, he said this kind of the same thing that his plan all along was to start both of them. Um, he has reasoning for Cardell coming in second was that he thought Cardell would, um, you know, do better as the second guy in as opposed to the first, which, you know, okay. He was right. Um, yeah. <laughs> as we saw, I don't know if he expected Fuller to have as bad of a game to start. I don't think I expected, you know, even if, I would not have thought Roman Fuller was going to throw three interceptions in the first half based on what we saw last week. Like last week, he did not look like the kind of guy who was going to make those kind of passes. Um, And so whether or not, you know, that's on him, whether or not that's on the receiver or on Kevin Wilson, I mean, I don't really care all that much. What I do care is that we lead the country in interceptions so far with eight. So you know, I don't know whoever Eight. is to I mean, we had whoever. five. We had five in this game. Oh, well, the crazy God. stat is Tulsa's quarterback room last year had 10 on Saturday because you had Davis Brin through five at Georgia Southern. So quarterback room from last year. I don't know if I Davis specific. Brin threw five picks this he past threw, Saturday. He threw five picks against oh, Wisconsin. So you got five from him, three from Fuller, two from Cardell, all who were on Tulsa as uh, 22 dude. roster. So that's a good, stat. you know, not a great, not a great. Yeah. That's, that's a staff from Caden um, that yes. I saw on Twitter. So yeah. no, like, so that being said, like, I don't really care whose fault it is. I, it just, we need to figure it out. Um, So going back to the quarterback thing. Yeah. I don't, I don't really get it. I don't understand. Like maybe, you know, they're both young. And so that's kind of my thought. Why are we start playing, planning on doing two quarterbacks? I think there's kind of the impression that, you know, part of the last two weeks, the plan was to develop, was to get these guys that experience. Um, and so, you know, that's why you're seeing both of them. That's why the plan is to play both of them. But it really seemed like if we just started Cardell, there was a chance that we make this a competitive game. You know, he comes in completely different type of environment all of a sudden from TU's offense. Puts up two touchdowns, like what? It was 35 or 38-14 going into the half. Yeah, um, yeah, yeah. Uh, 38. Um, when did we kick that field goal? Was that third quarter? I think it was the start of the third quarter, like our first drive. And so... You know, it could have been a 10-point game going into halftime, and that is insane. Like, it didn't feel out of reach necessarily. Like, it felt like a long shot when you're down 24 going into the half. But, you know, then it 
just kind of deteriorated from there. Cardell Williams starts throwing, throws a couple picks, and then we bring Roman Fuller in essentially just to end the game, like just run the ball. I think Wilson said, let's just deflate the football and just run the clock out. Um, <laughs> yeah. So yeah. yeah, no, I don't really get it. And it it's it honestly kind of feels like I don't want to say a wash. It feels like my entire my entire viewpoint is forget these last three games. Like we're exactly where we thought we would be. I think most reasonable people, um, not reasonable, realistic uh f- people figured we'd probably be one and two at this point in the season. Hey, guess what? We're one and two. All right. Let's focus on the rest of the year. Let's kind of like push these games, push them to the past, take what you can from them. But I honestly, I feel like Braxton is going to be back this week. And so then it's like, okay, is, do we, do we talk about the quarterback thing again? Like, I hope that we're kind of riding with one quarterback per game the rest of the year. Um, I just, I'm just so confused. I mean, I feel I feel like that's the only thing you can really be. Like he thought that Fuller played well against Washington, thought he might be maybe the better quarterback to kind of come in and like calm it down. Um but it did not play out that way. Yeah. Yeah, when I similar like you know, you mentioned it already. He made the comment that, you know, he wants to play both these guys. Maybe he's looking at it as, um, you know, it, it goes back to what we talked about last week. Um, we talked about, would it be better to start an injured Cardell or a healthy Roman Fuller? Right. And I feel like we kind of came down in the same area, but we were a little bit different. Like one of them was if it, coming at it from two different angles, right. One was, do we want, do, would we risk an injury to try to win this game versus do we throw everything we've got at OU to try to win it? And when Kevin Wilson comes in and says, I was planning on playing both of these guys. I think that's what you said. I think he's, that sounds to me like he's looking at this game less like a winnable game and more like a practice going forward to try to get some more reps for these guys. Right. And that stinks. I think I like, I know the chances that you beat OU are very slim. But on the slim chance that you beat OU, that is so massive for TU. And I'm not saying Kevin Wilson's not like, there's no way he's not trying to win this game. Like he's the football coach, it's his job to win the game. Like I don't, I'm not naive enough to think he's not trying to do this, but I just don't, <laughs> I don't know. Maybe I'm missing something. I don't know how you try to win this game. And you have both of these quarterbacks seemingly healthy and available. And you, you play Roman Fuller for as long as he did. Um, Cardell came in and looked so like just, it was a world of difference between those two. And I know it was a rough start for Roman, all that stuff, but like it, he just has an extra factor that Roman doesn't have, um, so far. And I don't know, man, it just felt like not really trying to win this game, just using this thing as a practice kind of comment. Maybe I'm misreading that, but that's what it felt like to me, which was disappointing. Um, so yeah, with you, hopefully we've got one guy, one guy going forward now that we're past these two uh behemoths of opponents. Um and whether that's Braxton or Cardell, is if Braxton's the starter, then if he has a bad game against Northern Illinois, all of a sudden we're gonna have a serious conversation about like, okay, is it Braxton or Cardell? Now I feel like this game, there's no recovering from it, at least this season from Roman Fuller. He's still he's a junior, so he's still got some time, you know, to figure something out. But 
fans are not going to want to see him on the field again after that, you know, despite it being OU, everything like that was ugly, you know? And when you've got Cardell who came in right after him and scored touchdowns on his first two drives, no one's going to want to see card or fuller over Cardell anymore. That's just how it is. Um, but then if you get a debate going between Braxton and Williams, that's a whole new thing. So who knows? We'll see. Um, but I just want to hit on this one more time. And this was the, the graphic from the TV that I saw when I was rewatching the game. First four drives, Roman Fuller, 41 yards, three interceptions. First four drives for Cardell Williams, 229 yards, two touchdowns and a field goal, right? So just absolute worlds apart. Um, so we'll see. I don't know if Braxton's going to be healthy for the next game, but whether it's Braxton or Cardell, um, feeling pretty solid at the quarterback spot now. So I'm not going to bring this back like permanently, but it makes just like kind of looking at this and thinking about uh, the turnovers. It really takes me back to golden Hurricast season one uh, when we were a turnover warehouse, you had Luke <laughs> Skipper, you had chat president. These guys were just turning the ball over um, willy nilly. It felt like so, um, Throwback to Matt's depressing stat of the week. Uh, insert <laughs> wow. insert nice. Pat Fox, where he says like Matt's depressing stat of the week or something like that. Um, okay, so this is going to be a. I'm going to ask you every X many passes. How many? Like, okay, what is the rate? Like, how many interceptions or how many pass attempts do we have per interception? What do you think it is? Uh, can you tell me, let me ask for a hint first. How many, can you tell me how many pass attempts we have on the season so far? But you know, do you know how many interceptions we've had? Let's sure I could do it that way. I suppose yeah, you just do math. Um, yeah. So we, you said would, we've that had, would, that would make it too easy. We've had eight interceptions so far. Correct. Um, I am going to bet that we throw an interception every Fourteen throws. Oh man, that would be so nice. No, it is every nine point eight. We'll oh round it up to God. ten. Every Ouch. ten throws, we have a pick. We've had seventy nine pass attempts. Damn, we've had eight interceptions. That is by far the worst clip. Uh, which I mean, just knowing that we had eight per or eight total, I was like, yeah, it's got to be. But I just went through and like the next lowest is like eleven and a half, which. You know, seems kind of close, but it's still pretty bad. Yeah. Yeah, man, that is brutal. Um, uh, I, yeah, I don't know. That's like, obviously you can't do that. You're not going to, you're, we're not going to make a ball game if we're throwing interceptions that often. And I know we're probably not because we're going to settle on one quarterback eventually and people will g- gel around him. The flow will be there for the one guy when you're bounced between these guys all the time. People, these quarterbacks have different relationships with the receivers, different understandings on how they're going to run their routes, everything like that. Right. When you settle on one things settle in things solidify, that's how it needs to get. That's where it needs to get to. On one hand, I understand trying to get reps for all these guys. And this probably is good for the long term. but man, for right now, it just, it definitely sucks for, uh, for TU. All right, let's keep moving. Um, let's talk about some defense defense. Very, very bad. Uh, and this is, you know, Nobody was coming into this game thinking we were going to like do very well against OU's offense. OU's offense looks awesome, even against other other opponents this year. Um, but man, this did not give you any reason for optimism. We had dropped like 20 spots in the SP Plus rankings for defense after this game. Uh, 
we absolutely just there were I don't did we force it did they punt once maybe 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 in the fourth quarter like at the end of the game or something I don't think they did until then um they had one punt one punt okay so we stopped uh, that had to be in the fourth quarter uh correct me if I'm wrong there but I it, like I feel like I remember one happening around that time um really ugly and that was the case against Washington I'm not surprised necessarily that it happened against OU because it also happened against Washington. And yeah, Washington's offense is probably a little bit better, but OU's offense is awesome. Like top five potentially um, in the country. I don't know if they'll end top five, but right now that's how they're playing. Uh, Dylan Grabeerl looked fantastic. Started the game nine for nine. Like I mentioned, it was 28 for 31. There's my stat I was looking for earlier. Got it right. Hell yeah. Um, he just smoked us on that. Uh, and I don't know if we're going to get much better, right? I know we're going to start stopping people because the level of offense we're going to start playing is going to be way worse. But this game gave you really no, at least didn't for me, at least didn't give me any reason to think that we can rely on the defense to win us games. It's going to have to be the offense almost all the time. And we don't even know what to expect from the offense because we've been playing three different quarterbacks and like our receivers have been super inconsistent and our best running back was third string last year. Uh, so we'll, we'll see what happens uh, going forward. But man, the defense again, just couldn't stop them getting torched all day long. Um, wasn't just coverage either. In my opinion, like even when, you know, sure you get beat, but then you've got to make the tackle. We were missing tackles all game long too. Um, it, I just, there was almost no bright spots defensively in this game. I, I actually can't think of any, I'm sure there were some, um, and like, I don't know, man, I, we were talking to, uh, to Keegan and he's the guy we previewed OU with, uh, last week, Keegan Renault. And, um, he was breaking down the game. He breaks down film all the time. Uh, I asked him if he could share his notes with us, like while he's doing that breakdown, he sent us just a couple little sentences. Um, but he called out who he liked the best, uh, on, on our team. And he called out some offensive guys. It was like, yeah, Cardell, you guys might really have something in that young QB Cardell Williams. And like, yeah, I think so. I think we might, <laughs> you know, he's looking really good. Um, he also called out Bill Jackson as being maybe the best running back on the team, which I thought was interesting. Uh, but then on the defensive side, he called out Canyon uh, Williams, who we keep mispronouncing his name. It is not Canyon Williams. It is Canyon Williams. Um, and Ken Darren Ray. And I was interested. <laughs> I thought it was interesting that he called out Ken Darren Ray because the guy is a captain on the team. He's been around for forever. He is big. He's long. He looks the part. And largely he is fantastic at stopping the run. Like he's very, very physical. He can, he's a good hunter of the ball and he can get to the ball. Uh, but man in coverage, that guy, it, it's just, it's not all the way there. Like he just misses coverages very like several times this game. And I know it happened last game too. Cause we talked about it. Um, he just gets caught looking every now and then he's watching the backfield. So he, he's supposed to have this guy on the outside. I know one of the things that this is actually a perfect example, Matt and I were at the game, um, on Saturday and some little flat route by an OU guy. He got into the end zone. Ray was there, but like, he looked kind of pissed that, that he scored. We're like, was that Ray's guy? Was that, can, was that on him or was he mad because somebody else was supposed to be there and, um, they just missed it. And he was kind of left out on his own. Uh, it was totally on him. He was there the entire, like he was just, it was a fake handoff in the backfield from OU. He got caught looking in the backfield and the guy just stuck out past him and Ray couldn't recover and get there. Um, and he's had some, he's had some things like that over the years. So I, I'm not trying to say that like, he's a bad player. He's one of the best on the defense, but the defense is not very good. Right. And that's 
I'm, I'm using Kendarren Ray as an example, but this is happening to everybody on that defense. Uh, unfortunately, Ray is also one of them, and he's supposed to be, you know, kind of the lock, maybe not a lockdown guy, but a, a physical big time defender on that D. So I don't know, Matt. It was, it was disappointing for me to see. Um, I wasn't expecting us to really stop OU based on how we played against Washington, but I was hoping for something. You know, I know he had the one interception, all that, but. Um, what were your, did you have any extra takeaways from this defense or are you, are you as pessimistic on them now as, as I have been, um, in this long spiel? Yeah, I was not expecting them to play worse than they did against Washington. Um, I think maybe, you know, that's the style of quarterback that you're playing where Penix is not one who's going to destroy you on the deep passes, the long shots, uh, like it seems Dylan Gabriel was going to do, uh, Penix was, you know, he's kind of a, he's a carver. He will just precision strike, take out, take you out. And that's kind of what it looked like. Whereas here we saw somebody who's just like, yeah, I'm just going to chuck the ball deep to my receivers who have beaten your corners. Uh, Cause you haven't set the edge. Uh, we'll take that. Yes. Thank you. Cash that in for a touchdown. That's kind of what yeah. it felt like happened. Wilson just kind of said in his post-game presser, like we were not, we're given the edge on the perimeter. Um, and that's kind of what we talked about, you know, so is our cornerbacks like Keenan. He said that he liked our two safeties. He didn't say that about the corners. Um, I don't think anybody's super high on the corners right now. So I'm kind of wondering, you know, did, and I think the answer is yes. I'll preface that um, right away. How much does a three, three, five cover, weaknesses back there i think it definitely like you know you look back a couple of years ago when we were kind of doing it obviously i think it's very different because i think joe gillespie's 335 and i think the talent that we had defensively a couple of years is obviously you know like night and day um compared to this year's team but you know you look at last year to this year the 335 did it cover up more in the secondary um, that's just getting exposed this year. And I, th- I think the answer is yes. Um, so yeah, it's, you know, the silver lining is you've played two top 10 offenses. And so I don't think we are the second worst defense in the country. I think that is a matter of playing amazing offenses. And I think once we actually get to play against uh, some of these, you know, American teams and NIU whose offenses are not nearly as good will kind of settle down. Maybe we're a top 100 defense. Um, that kind of seems what our ceiling is at this point. Uh, and our floor is, I think, bottom like 120. Um, so that's kind of a bummer. But I think our offense, if we actually have a starting quarterback and everything, like right now it's 76. I think that can be a top 50 potentially offense yep. just based on what we've seen. Like we were worried about the wide receivers. The wide receivers have seemed pretty solid for, you know, what we've gotten. We've barely even touched or like, I guess he's barely even gotten touches and that's Braylon Presley. Like if we can get a figure out a way to get him involved, I think our offense can keep us in these games enough to where our defense just needs one, you know? So yeah, and I think I think they're good enough to get one. Yeah, hopefully you get more than one. Otherwise, it's man, that's a lot of pressure on your offense. But yeah, I like 
you can't, it doesn't seem like we're, we're going to really be able to count on them. You talked about the three, three, five, you know, and the benefits of that versus the four, two, five, we've largely been running so far this year under Polizzi and, you know, everybody runs the three, three, five differently. How Gillespie did it is different than how most people do it. And, you know, we talked with Keegan last week on that was a, that was a hell of a defense. Other defensive coordinators who were running three, three, fives were studying how Gillespie was doing it. Um, he had something clicking, right? He was obviously, he got, he got a big time job out of it. Uh, going to TCU and then next year they go to the national championship game and this, yeah. Would we benefit from switching to a three, three, five? I don't know. Probably, you know, it seems to me that the answer might be yes, just because people on the team are used to it. Probably still know it very well. Used to playing in that system. Um, and you know, just numbers game. You've got an extra guy back there helping out in some way. Um, we still we do in the current system still have five guys back there in the secondary. Obviously, that's the five and the four two five. Um, but maybe the middle is less open. Maybe you can cover the flats better when you've got a guy who can flare out there more easily. Um, and the the thing that occurred to me while you were talking was like, you know, when when you when you switch to a four two five, you've got four down linemen. You're hoping to get to the quarterback a little bit more often because um, you got to count up four guys there instead of three. And I know we you can still blitz a lot out of a three three five. You usually use that extra linebacker as a guy that can blitz and stuff. But you know, you've got an extra guy in the line. And at least against OU, I know they're big. Uh, on the offensive line, but we did not get to Dylan Gabriel all game. And we also didn't get to Michael Penix all game. And Washington's offensive line had two good guys, but two not very good guys. I thought we might be able to, might be able to exploit that a little bit, um, at least against Washington, and we didn't. And we also haven't really gotten, we didn't get to them much against, uh, against OU. So uh, I still think those are good players, but it seems that the benefit of switching to the 4-2-5 hasn't paid off necessarily. <laughs> So I'm waiting for that uh, to happen. But so far, yeah, I'm feeling like, I don't know. I know Polizzi has talked about running both a 3-3-5 and a 4-2-5 so far in the season. It's been almost all 4-2-5. Uh, maybe we'll flip switch that up against Northern Illinois or something. Who knows? You were, you'd think if you were going to switch it up and play more 3-3-5, it would have happened against the two best, one, two of the best offenses in the country who are going to pass the ball like crazy on you. Um, so we'll probably end up sticking with the four two five, honestly, um, after now that we're past those two guys, but I don't know, man. Yeah. Very, very weird, but we'll see what happens. All right. Last thing I want to touch on, um, before we get to like players, players of the game and stuff, uh, there's kind of a general theme growing that we didn't, I don't remember if we talked about this last week. Um, I think we did, maybe not, but there are several players that were like, when you're looking at the season preview and coming into this year, some of the biggest names on this team, um, either have not played at all this season uh, or have largely not lived up to expectations so far, right? I understand we're only three games in. We're about to get to game four. Literally all of this can change. Um, but like against OU, three of your best players didn't play at all. And that is Jaden Simon on the line didn't play. Malachi Jones didn't play at all again for the second week in a row. LJ Wallace didn't play at all again for the second week in a row, right? So those three are the ones I want to start with. And then we'll end on um, Braylon Presley uh, kind of being largely underwhelming, but I, I understand he's new to the team, new to the system might take some time to, to, you know, start utilizing him a little bit more. So let's start with the other three. Um, they haven't been there. There is, I, I think we talked about it last week. There is a rumor that LJ Wallace is off the team. Not, not that he got kicked off because he is a de facto starter on this team. Absolutely. Um, and, has the qualities to be a very good player. Apparently he has left the team voluntarily 
Uh, and the rumor is because of his kid, just a rumor. Like he, he just wants more time to take care of the kid and football practice is getting in the way. Um, totally reasonable. If that's the case, I don't totally understand, you know, why, since you, I like practice schedule has been a little bit wild this season. I know they've been practicing at late at night and early in the morning and stuff to try to beat the heat and things like that. And maybe that's getting in the way. Um, seems to be, seems to me that if that's an issue, you can find a way around it and still be on the team. Uh, so maybe something else is also going on, but that's the rumor could be wrong. Right. But he has <laughs> one thing is true. And that is, he has not played in the last two games at all. And I haven't seen him on the sidelines. I was looking for him. Um, so not sure on LJ. Um, but on the other two, uh, Jaden Simon, I have no idea. He just didn't play against OU. No idea why. Literally not a, a clue at all. So not going to spend much time on him unless you know Matt. Uh, but then Malachi Jones is the other one. And that's not a case of him not being on the team or not being good. He's still dressed out, um, but not fully. He's in a t-shirt and shorts. Uh, so I guess by definition, he's not dressed out. Um, but he's wearing like the thing. He's wearing like the fake jersey shirt and shorts that everybody wears out there when they don't have the pads on. Um, so he's out there, um, still, still on the team, everything, but seems like he's still dealing with that ankle injury or whatever the hell he's been dealing with for all season so far and into fall camp. Um, so yeah, any notes on those guys, Matt, or any, any extra thoughts on LJ and his, you know, rumor situation and also the fact that he just hasn't played at all this year. No, I was going through, um, some of the stuff from last Tuesday's press conference, um, see if there's any notes on injuries. There's nothing on the depth chart or anything like that. So I, you know, I don't think we really know why guys aren't going to play games. I kind of accept expecting that to just be the, um, the norm going forward. Uh, we'll never truly know potentially. Uh, and then as far as the LJ Wallace, like I know the exact same information that you do. So um, I've got nothing more to, to add there. Yeah, it's just, you know, if that's the case, then I get it. But it is sad. I I made the comment to you last week that, like, I've been on the LJ Wallace hype train before the season. This is probably the third year in a row. I think I had him as my breakout player of the year, like, two years ago. And last year, I thought he might be the best player on the defense. And neither year has he, like, either played that much or lived up to my own hype. Um, so it's just, like, kind of sad for me because I've been looking forward to to, like, watching him in a big way. And I thought this season was finally the season. Like, TU made his his poster like face thing, the, the preseason game one, like hype poster. Um, and he, he just looks the part defensively and he's a, he's a big physical guy, very Kendarin Ray style. I don't know how great he is in coverage, but he's certainly a, a big time force in the run game, like run stopping. So, uh, just sad, you know, that he's not on the team. If that is actually the case, um, if not, would love to see him against Northern Illinois, but, um, for now I'm thinking he's not last thing, Braylon Presley sort of to touch on him. Um, his stat line so far is very lackluster and that is not what I don't think anybody really expected up to this point in the season. Uh, he was probably the most hyped player on the offense coming into this year. Maybe Braylon Braxton, you know, returning quarterback. Um, can't think of anybody else who would rival Braylon Presley big time transfer coming from Oklahoma state. We know the whole story with his brother and him and no offer and all that stuff. Um, but he comes here and, Coaching staff all off season is like, we're going to do everything we can to get this guy, the ball all the time. He's been electric in fall camp. He was electric on the spring game, everything, you know, and actually, I don't know if he was at the spring game, but at least in fall camp, uh, he was, he was certainly electric and he's just pretty much been nowhere to be found. You know, a few catches against Washington, a few against, um, 
Arkansas Pine Bluff, big all zero against OU, uh, which is, I, I don't know. Like, I don't have a point in this other than to say I'm surprised that that is the case so far and um, would not be surprised if it totally flipped here shortly. I did hear Kevin Wilson again uh, in, a, in a in the radio show talk about, like, we need to start. We, he said it again. We need to start getting Presley the ball more. It's, he took it on himself to to say that he just hasn't been scheming around him as much as he probably should be. Um, so I wouldn't be surprised if his, um, his stats start to tick up pretty soon, pretty soon here. Uh, I just thought it was weird that like we're three games in and he's been a non-factor. Like I don't, there are large stretches of the game. I don't even think about Braylon Presley. And that is not where I thought I would be, um, going into week four here. Yeah. It's just, I feel like generally disappointing. Um, I feel like fans are expecting more. Uh, and every time that we do see him out there and like if he's on the field, but not really contributing, it's just more of like, like what, what if, and I don't know, I'm kind of hoping again, like level of competition is much more standardized, um, much closer to Tulsa going forward. And so like, I kind of hope that we see more of our offense as Kevin Wilson envisions it. Maybe it's like Braylon Braxton had this awesome relationship with Braylon Presley. They wanted the Braylon to Braylon thing. And they thought that was going to be clicking every game. Maybe Cardell Williams just has a vendetta against Braylon Presley. He's just not going to throw on the ball. I don't actually think that's the case, but you know, to a lesser extent, there are like vibes between quarterbacks and receivers and Maybe it's just not the same between Cardell and Braylon. Probably not, but you never know. Uh, okay. Anything else um, generally on the game, Matt, before we move to players of the game? Um, I'm really disappointed that OU didn't try and like slow the pace of the game down early yeah. um, to allow us to cover. Yeah, I know. <laughs> yeah, that's so true. Uh, what Matt's alluding to last week, if you don't remember, or if you didn't listen, um, Keegan was like pretty convinced that OU OU didn't have any run game against SMU uh, the week before. And he was like, you know, before Cincinnati is their game this coming week. So he was like, before the Cincinnati game, OU has to get the run game under control, figure that out. So they're probably going to really attack the run in this game against Tulsa, try to get something figured out there before they go play Cincinnati. And they did not do like they ran fine, but man, they came out swinging. They just were bombing the ball every possession all the time and it was working. So they didn't stop. And uh, yeah, I'm with you. Had it been, had it been a, let's get started on the ground. Um, might've been a way closer game, uh, but they did not do that, which is uh, disappointing, but there you have it. Okay. Let's move to players of the game. Um, I think I started on offense last week. So do you want to start on offense this week, Matt? Yeah, that makes it uh, way easier for me. Um, I think it's the guy who came in and just made the offense look like a college offense. Um, (laughs) Cardell Williams, obviously, is who I'm talking about. Um, I think you kind of you mentioned this and I don't want to like steal your thunder. So um, I'll let you kind of speak to your Slack message in more detail. But I mean, we just looked like the complete opposite compared to when Fuller was playing. Like I don't, I'm not saying like guys don't play hard all the time, but everybody just seemed to be on another level when Cardell was in, Um, you know, he's able to get out of the pocket when we need it. We needed it quite a bit this game. Yeah. Um, I think 
Yeah, and that so, is true. That is actually a really good call out. We didn't talk about much. The offensive line, he was the offensive line as as solid ish as they have been this year so far. They were just getting smacked this game. And that really hurts Roman and it really benefit it doesn't benefit Cardell, but he is much more equipped to be able to handle that. Sorry for cutting you off, but good call out. Yeah, no, it's I mean, you could just kind of tell there were a lot of passes that Cardell made from outside of the pocket um to which gave our receivers more time to you know get open or let the play kind of develop and not force passes and so you know second quarter he did a really good job of that um we kind of saw again late as he went on he threw a couple bad passes um just kind of off his back foot um and then we switched back to fuller from that point so you just you get like there is so much electricity that he brings and like if he can just kind of work on that other side or not the other side, but kind of like how he finishes. I mean, I, he's going to be the future of Tulsa football. Yeah, man. I, the team really seems to love him. Um, he just come. he plays with fire. He plays with emotion He's a young guy. I know that we've, we've heard he's, he's a little too emotional sometimes. Uh, and Kevin Wilson even called that out this week of like, yeah, he's really good, but like, he's got, he's just young, you know, he, he wears his heart on his sleeve a little too much every now and then. Um, but man, when it's working, it is awesome because the team loves him. The team responds to that energy. And when he came out and threw two touchdowns in his first two possessions, the team was so fired up. It was ridiculous. You know, you could so tangibly, you could just feel it on the field. Um, so yeah, I agree. It's gotta be him. Uh, he did have those two picks. I want to like one of the, I don't remember his second one, but his first one, uh, absolutely was again, because he was getting blitzed like crazy. Uh, he had a guy right in his face, like you said, threw it off his back foot, but he was getting pressured, um, and just tough pass right there. So I agree. It's gotta be him. Um, just to give a shout out to somebody else, Devin Williams, great game, had our, had a nice touchdown, uh, six catches, 71 yards. Got to, got to shout him out. Solid game aside from kind of giving up on that first interception from Fuller where he stopped running and maybe not cause that, but definitely didn't contribute to, uh, maybe preventing it. So Devin Williams, good game, good stuff from him in general. Um, defense. I honestly, I was going, I was going through this game, you know, and I know, I, th- I think it was last year, honestly, it might've been two years ago, Matt. Um, but you had a big stretch of time where you boycotted special teams. And I think, I think I might, I think I might have to boycott our defense, uh, for defensive player of the game, uh, until further notice until we can actually get a stop defensively in a real game, which I am confident will happen against Northern Illinois. Don't get me wrong. So I'm sure I'll have one next week. Um, but who the hell do you pick in this game? Like there was an interception. So like there's, there's one, uh, but outside of that, I don't know if there was any bright spot. We talked about it already. It didn't seem like really any bright spot defensively in this. So I'm going to say no defensive player of the week for me and a boycott until further notice. And I see some, some improvement on that side of the ball. Yeah, I could get behind that. I think maybe not defensive player of the week, but just the two shout outs to, you know, playmakers that did caught, had some good plays. Problem is, uh, like they're both corners slash safety for one of them. Um, and it's like, we already talked about how poorly that entire position group kind of played. Uh, but you got DeMarco Jones had a pick in the first quarter. That was exciting. 
Like, you know, you're like, oh, anything can happen. Like, who knows? This is, you know, Dylan Gabriel. Uh, he's at Tulsa. Just what we expect. Yeah, right. uh, didn't play out that way. And then Jace Oliver had forced fumble, pass deflected. Like, it's kind of it. You had Kendarian Ray led the team in tackles. Um, but, I mean, that's just kind of like he's a physical guy. He is always getting in on the tackles. I I don't know. Yeah, I I agree. I just I don't think there is enough to give anybody like a standout award. Yeah, and you can't you can't give it to Jace Oliver really for that forced fumble either because that was on a kickoff return. Um, he or some kind of I think it was a kickoff. Yeah, it was the first play of the game. It was that we kicked it off to OU. They ran it like fifty yards back on the return. Oh, yeah, forgot, Jace Oliver is the one that stripped it. that. Yeah, so Still he stripped trying. that, and Dante Burton um, recovered it. Uh, but that was on special teams. So, like, honestly, he's my special teams player of the game. So I'm going to spoil that for you right now because he made that's how like I'll, we'll just get to that right off the bat. That is how that is the perfect way to start a game against the top 10. That's what you need to happen in games like this. Uh, and it just went, you know, we, we throw three interceptions right off the bat after that. Um, but you cannot ask for a better start against a team like that. So huge shouts to Jace Alford for making that happen. Dante Burton for picking it up and recovering it. Um, on a big time athlete over there at OU and Jaleel Farouk. So good stuff. Unfortunately, couldn't capitalize, but got to give it to Jace Oliver plus Dante Burton, I think, for that, for opening things up that way. I totally forgot that's where the fumble came in because we were still trying to get to our seats uh, when that happened. So I really just kind of heard it and I didn't rewatch this game um, like you did. So yeah, nice. Good for uh, calling me out on my garbage take. Um, <laughs> not even a defensive play. Um, yeah. So if I go special teams, I feel like I can't say him, uh, cause I didn't even watch the play. Um, so that kind of seems unfair. So I'll go chase Meyer. He did everything we needed of him, which was two extra points and a field goal. Um, Davies had still, yeah. Davies had five punts. Some were fine. Some were not. So just kind of like, I don't know. Chase Meyer was perfection. There we go. Very nice. Um, let's see. And, Anything else? And and his kickoffs were better than Washington. That's true. I noticed uh, that. Although they did have one, they had like one big return, right? Um, they averaged well, thirty-five yards per kick return, so not. Well, what that's what I was saying. Like I probably, but also their first one that we ended up stripping was a big return. Like they probably okay. ran at forty something yards before we stripped them. I think that probably counts toward that return number, right? Even though we turned them over. Um, so that was one. That was a big one for sure. Hmm. Yeah. I don't know. I'd have to I don't know how many touchbacks he had, because they only had three kickoff returns and we scored three times. So we would have kicked it off four times to them. So one of them they either didn't return or that one doesn't count. I don't know. Yeah. I don't know either. Last thing before I, I meant to talk about this earlier, but forgot was just going through the notes again. Um, on the DeMarco Jones interception, awesome play from him. Uh, and then we get the ball back and we literally the next possession, all we do usually after a turnover, what do you think? It's like team turns the ball over big play, right? You're going to go for something, try to get some points, take carry the momentum offensively. That next drive three and out all run plays. We didn't even throw the ball once. <laughs> Why? I don't understand that at all. And actually, this was a Kevin Wilson shout out again. Um, he put this on himself. I don't know who calls the place. We should know this probably. 
Uh, but he said it was him for this possession because he's like, I didn't call the plays well enough right there. I should have done something else um, after that interception to try to make, get some movement, get some juice going. Uh, but three straight runs, three and out, we give him the ball right back. Um, just thought that was disappointing. And also wanted to make a mental note to myself to figure out who calls the plays. Is it Steve Spurrier? Is it Kevin Wilson? Is Spurrier up there just like analyzing what's going on and giving recommendations? Not totally sure. Um, if you know, hit me up. Otherwise, I will be asking around this week to try to figure that out. Okay. Um, final thing before we move on, penalties and injuries. Uh, penalties, almost exactly the same as last week. We had the same number and almost the same no- amount of yards um, against Washington. So OU in this one, seven penalties, 65 yards. TU, us in this game, seven penalties once again, 33 yards. So actually fewer yards than last week against Washington. So um, seven penalties, not awesome. Um, still, like we started off so good, three penalties against Pine Bluff. And Wilson seemed unhappy about those three penalties. So uh, the fact that we've been at seven the past two weeks, I'm sure he's not super wild about, but still a big improvement over uh, the last several years. So keeping it rolling. Hopefully we um, get that number down a little bit now that we head into some uh, easier competition. Yeah. What I don't like is when your yards is under five, like as an average, because that means you're giving up too many. You're com- You're committing too many penalties in the red zone, you know, cause they're getting half the distance to the goal. So they're getting like those extra two, three yards, which I know for a fact that they got one on a really stupid, um, like unsportsmanlike conduct that gave them half the distance to the goal. So it was like three yards, but it gave them a first down from a third down play. Like, yeah, that sucks. I, yeah, it just seems like the penalties that I remember, we're just like the worst, worst timing. Yeah. So impact penalties, I guess. Good point. Didn't even think about that, but yes, that, that makes sense. Uh, last thing injuries. I think we came out of there with actually zero, which is what you want against a team like this before you get into some teams that you really should beat. So awesome stuff there. We've been very, very injury free so far this season, aside from, as we've mentioned on both the previous episodes, quarterbacks, they're the only ones getting hurt for some reason. Um, but I think both might be healthy coming into this week. So we might be going into this game with a totally healthy team into week four. That is exciting. So good stuff injury wise. All right. Anything else, Matt? Are you ready to move on to the NIU preview with Eddie? I am ready. Cool. Okay. Let's move to that. Um, last week, for whatever reason, uh, when we were getting ready for the OU preview, I did like a whole intro on Keegan. And then I did it again during the actual interview. Uh, so I'm going to leave the intro to the one we do during the interview and just tell you, it's a great interview. We talked to Eddie last year. It was really fun. Um, hope you enjoyed this one. Northern Illinois, much more beatable team than the past two opponents. So looking forward to breaking them down and hope you enjoy it. We will catch you after this. Okay, and we are here with Eddie Carifio, the sports editor for the Daily Chronicle in DeKalb County, Illinois. I got a pronunciation lesson on that this week, not DeKalb. <laughs> Apparently, there is a DeKalb County that is spelled the same way. Uh, but DeKalb, in Georgia. <laughs> there we go, in Georgia. So there you go, DeKalb County. Uh, we actually had Eddie on the show last year uh, to talk about this same game, effectively. Uh, the 2022 Huskies this year, it'll obviously be this season's Huskies. Last year, TU went on to win that game in Tulsa, 38-35. to This year, uh, it's in Illinois at the Northern Illinois Husky Stadium. 
Um, so Eddie, welcome back to the show. Excited to talk to you about NIU and what will be Tulsa's second matchup against a game of Hus- a pack of Huskies this season. Yeah, Washington, right? That's right. Got Washington. It's going to go road. better this time. Around. It's going to go better this time around for you guys. I, think. <laughs> I don't think it go worse, but <laughs> yeah, I certainly hope so. Um, but man, I don't know. There's been some some serious ups and downs so far this year. I don't really know still what to think about our team largely since we've played an FCS team and then two top 10 teams effectively. Um, so it's been weird, but this is a, uh, this is more to more to our level now. So we'll see how this one goes, but I want to get started with this question. Uh, I know you've been, obviously you're covering Northern Illinois. You're watching every, every, every week and in what they're doing. Um, and you probably have a good feeling of kind of the pulse of the program right now. What's it feel? How do, how do fans feel right now after a one and two start? Cause you start off with a power five dub, on the road, right at Boston College. Yes. <laughs> um, who you know who has looked up and down, but they almost beat Florida State last week somehow. I didn't see that game, but I saw that that almost happened. And then you follow it up with you know an FCS loss and then a, a loss on the road at Nebraska, which is obviously respectable. Um, but what's the general vibe uh, of the program right now? What are you thinking, and what are fans thinking? I think the general vibe is is not great right now, and I, I would argue about the loss about Nebraska being respectable. And this is a Nebraska team that's that had been struggling. This is a Nebraska team that should not have won by five touchdowns. Essentially, uh, that was. Uh, I mean, the defense, the NIU defense, did what they could, but just with the offense going uh, three and out, literally every time they touched the ball, yeah. it was eleven punts for uh, for uh, their transfer punter in there. Uh, Oof. Tom Foley. It was just, uh, yeah. So obviously the defense is going to just get tired at some point. That's what happened late. And so anyway, the point is, I would argue respectable. That was the Southern Illinois laws. I would argue is more respectable because they're, they're a strong SCS team out of a strong conference that probably is, is going to make some noise in the postseason this year, maybe pull off one of the upsets of one of the Dakotas at some point. So I, I, I think this, to me anyway, this Nebraska loss was a lot tougher to swallow. So however you want to split those hairs, I think that um, uh, the fan base is uh, not exactly reacting well, especially for as high as expectations were at the end of the year and after the win at Boston College. Yeah, I think that probably at least begins with, uh, or it seems to me, you can correct me if I'm wrong. It seems like it begins with the quarterback play. It seems to have gone the wrong direction. We had, we had a listener question about this too, asking about Rocky Lombardi. He's been there for, I mean, it feels like four years. Maybe it's just been three years. He's been there for a long time, um, been the starter for a while. Uh, I, I was reading your your write-up in the Daily Chronicles website online about um, how the season doesn't make sense, and you also start with, with uh, Rocky Lombardi. Um, and that he's gotten worse in every start so in every start so far this year. Uh, yes. So what's the deal? What's been going on with him? And is there is there part two? Is there also a chance that we see a quarterback change in this game? Well, that that came up at the presser after the Nebraska game because the backup quarterback Ethan Hampton uh, did lead him on a touchdown drive, uh, garbage time touchdown drive against Nebraska backups. It's still a touchdown drive, which uh, Lombardi obviously had been few and far between for the offense when he's been in there. Uh, Hammock, very loyal, though, just dismissed it outright. The thing about Hampton and, and with Lombardi here is Hampton spent the spring essentially as a starting quarterback. Hampton, uh, Lombardi missed the entire spring. Hampton uh, was the one taking the snaps. He was the one working with the top group. He, he was the one in there getting the snaps. 
I, I kind of had the hunch you didn't really, I guess you still haven't really seen it now, but I, I really think Hampton might've made a really big leap because he didn't play the best in the couple of games he played uh, before he got hurt replacing Lombardi when Lombardi got hurt last year, never ending injury parade. That was 2022 for NIU. But um, you, you kind of had the feeling that, or at least I kind of had the feeling that Hampton had made a uh, kind of leap there going into, I believe this is his sophomore season. I think it was a true freshman. Or a uh, redshirt freshman last year, so I, I think he had made a leap. And if you want to take a garbage time drive against the Nebraska's proof of that, great, that helps me out. But I, I, there's a not a quarterback move coming coming yet. To answer the first part of that question, if you could answer what was wrong with uh, Lombardi, that that's the million dollar question right there. Um, yeah. Is it still something physical? Is it some? version of the yips or, or whatever it is it's it's just he hasn't not that he was ever a world beater you know top tier gunslinger quarterback but he was better than a game manager you know he was up with the, the game manager i guess with benefits that could make the play who could take a, a deep pass and you know make a big play like that every once in a while and then had the game manager quality of not messing stuff up with dumb decisions. And, and this year, again, it's been a step back to even kind of blow game manager the way he's played the last two weeks. It's it, it like, like I said in the column you alluded to on dailychronicle.com that uh, he, it's uh, it, it makes no sense. Yeah. So I want to try to dig into that a little bit because, and, and let me, let me back up one step. Has it, has he been the starter there for three seasons? Is that right? Or has it been longer? Yeah, he, he, no, it was the 21 was his first season when he transferred in from uh, Michigan state after the COVID meaning Owen six year transferred in was going to be for two years, got the injury red shirt after playing in four games last year. And uh, back for this bonus seventh career year for him, age 25, <laughs> The other factor that makes you think that it really shouldn't be a mental issue. And it, it, it still probably is something, you know, it could be something physical still. You know, he actually hit his hand pretty hard on a helmet and I forget which game, but I think it was the Southern Illinois game. You know, the, that could be something that there he's keeping to himself or still could, you know, still could be something physical at this point. You would like to think that that's what it is. Yeah, that's kind of the direction I was going because another thing you you called out in that piece was that, and I didn't know this about him in in general, was that apparently he's got um, some, uh, you know, goals in in the future to be a coach of some kind, or you think he could be a coach of yeah. some kind. I don't know so, if those are his goals, but I, yeah. I when you hear him talking, even more than a regular quarterback, I mean, the guy knows every aspect of the guy. I remember what did I mean? It was at some press conference or something. And he was asked about the defense, you know, or no, he wasn't even asked about the defense. It was uh, one of the defensive players was asked like how the defenses looked or what caught. And then after, after the defensive player finished Lombardi volunteered, no one called on him, you know, no one said, Hey, Hey Rocky, how do you feel about this? He volunteered the information and gave this like nuanced response to the question. It's like, at that point, it's like, okay, yeah, <laughs> dude knows something about uh, every side of the ball here. So that right. was, I, I don't think he's mentioned, I mean, they called him like a coach. He said like last year, he felt like a coach, uh, you know, with, with being injured and being able to help out more. So, I mean, he hasn't flat said it, but I'm sure that that's, uh, once his playing days are over is definitely, oh, I'm sorry for that long tangent. No, it, no, it makes sense. Right. And that's what I was getting at. It feels like he's got too much experience and too much 
mental acumen and you know he's got the the quarterback iq down where it doesn't feel like that's probably the issue so maybe it's something else maybe it's some injury like you're saying but just feels feels kind of weird um but yeah uh so that's yeah i i guess we'll see what happens with with rocky um do you have much optimism out about him going forward? The, like if it is an injury thing, do you think he'll get back up to the level of performing at the, you know, where, where you expect him to be or not much I confidence? Think, I think either way, no, that I, I do feel confident about. It's just, it, it, it seems like whack-a-mole, you know, okay, fine. He'll get his confidence up, but then the defense will inexplicably revert, you know, maybe not all the way back to last year, but they'll revert. Or, you know, it's something is worth pointing out. Uh, it's something that Hammock said, and it's something is worth worth pointing out in terms of the fairness here is that the offense is more than one guy. There, there's a lot on this offense beyond Rocky Lombardi. And I know we spent the first uh, three hours or however long this has been um, talking about Rocky here. But uh, there, there are other issues with this offense completely across the board. Uh, offensive line, defensive line, or offensive line receivers, running backs. It's 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 everywhere uh, on this offense. There's Hammock even put it the way in his presser today is there's no one on this offense, and it's not wrong when he said this. There's no one on this offense you look at and go, yeah, he's giving it everything he's got. He said there's guys on the cool. defense that you look at that like across the defense, especially with the defensive line. Every one of those guys, the way they're playing right now, you look at them. Yeah, he's giving everything he has. He's giving everything he has. He said there's no one like that on the offense right now. And like I said, that that's not a wrong assessment. That That's absolutely correct. <laughs> yeah, so let's talk about that a little bit. I mean, it, it is shocking to me that the offense has been so poor this year, but part two of that is the offensive line seems to be pretty down as well, as well as the run game, which has been so solid for Northern Illinois for so long, especially with Hammock there. You know, he, he came from the Ravens, right? The running back coach yes. there. Um, and so, you Former know, he's got... Back. Yeah, former running yeah, exactly. back at NIU. So. so he's got it going on on that side of the ball, um, or he should, you know. So do you have any idea, aside from maybe, you know, the effort call out that you just made there? Um, let me ask you another two-part here. Sorry for all the two-parters. <laughs> That's uh, fine. Do you have any idea why that, you know, is there is there a very simple cause as to what's going on with the offensive line? And part two of that is, does it fall on hammock at some point to not have these guys giving their best effort? Or is it, is it more of an individual thing going on here? Um, part one, I don't think it's a simple fix. I, I don't necessarily honestly think it's necessarily, even though the way he phrased it and everything, I don't think it's necessarily an effort thing. I mean, don't forget Nebraska. And, and again, he pointed this out Nebraska's defensive line. You know, I mean, I know they haven't played the best this year, defense, but their defensive line is huge. They got two guys at 330 on that defensive line. I, NIU's probably not facing another 330-pound defensive lineman. So, I mean, that's that's part of the, that was part of the problem. Part of the issue last week, obviously, it doesn't explain Southern Illinois when the running game was almost as bad, um, when, when they gave up, I believe, even more sacks than they did against Nebraska last week, but it, it at least explains the one performance. I, I think it's more, I would think it's more schematic. I'm not a film guy. I'm not an X's and O's film eater. I'm, I'm, I'm doing that day in and day out, but I would think that it's uh, it, it's more schematic and matchup wise than it is the the mental issue. It's, it's the, and when it's, 
I believe more what Hammock was saying more than the effort part of it was more the the, the silly mistake, the pad level and all that technical right, stuff right. that goes into being alignment. I think that that's more what the issue is than just straight up effort it was what he was getting at there. And I think that that's the one credit you give the Hammock is he absolutely gets his, his guys fired. 100 percent I mean, there's there's loyalty that runs both ways i say that as we're probably going to talk about two big uh, running backs leaving the program over the last two years that might have had an issue in the running game well i personally don't think so when you look at it and say that so you put all that aside that's part of the game now the portal uh on the whole the loyalty uh runs both ways in the program with hammock as the coach and hammock does get the guys fired up and gets them ready to run through brick walls. I, I don't think that it's necessarily that that, like I said, it's more schematic and technical type things. Yeah. Okay. That makes sense. The, the lead guy. And, there might've been a second part. <laughs> I think you hit him. I think you got them both. Okay. Uh, we talked about him. Is Hamick the reason for it? And it seems like the answer is maybe no. And also, is there a simple fix for this? And the answer to okay. that is also no. Um, right. So on the one more on the running back room here, it seems the main guy is Antario Brown. Um, is it, how, how much of the lead guy is him? Does it split between a bunch of others very consistently, or is it has it been kind of one guy every game? Um, what's the, what's been the the kind of the general uh, temperature in the running back room, and what can you tell us about those guys? It's been Ontario Brown, which is really weird for, and this is what I alluded to before. It's really weird for Hammock, uh, for the program under Hammock to have just like the guy. I mean, it was in nineteen, but I think that was more out of default from you know his inherited program in his first year. Um, since even in the the COVID twenty twenty year, it, it's he's had a group. Uh, the group usually changes, but I, I think maybe the attrition got the best of them, or what it is because. Um, Ontario Brown was averaging about six yards a carry in his career, more than six yards a carry. I think he's, he's at like two, three this year, I think, two, four, so maybe two, six, somewhere in the, the mid two range, which then two, one, two, six doesn't matter. That's not obviously where you need to be at that point. It's just bad. Uh, and he's had more than twice as many cat carries as Gavin Williams transfer in from Iowa. Um, it was highly touted, but but Ontario Brown has been the guy. Uh, Williams did get, I think, more carries against Nebraska than he had had. Uh, he's been on the field. He's been kind of using him as a pass catcher out of the backfield uh, more than anything. The first two weeks, uh, he, I think, had, like I said, had more carries against Nebraska. We might be trying to see it even out a little bit more uh, going forward here, but it's it's basically been the two of those. Um, he's had some, uh, obviously, freshmen that he touts very highly, but Aside from uh, three carries for uh, Flowers, I want to say Flowers, Kendrell Flowers. Um, he had like three carries against Nebraska, and that's been uh, it for the uh, non-Williams, non-Brown uh, running backs. All right, so it's mostly the Brown show and then a little bit of Williams. Let's talk about the receivers, too, before we close out the offensive side of this thing. The receivers, I mean, this is probably a symptom of, of you know, Rocky Lombardi not having a big year so far, but... None of them have numbers that jump out at you. Uh, I don't know how much of a game plan, like schematic thing that is. He's just, they, they're trying to stay away from throwing the ball for whatever reason this year. I know it's kind of been a run heavy scheme in the past, but seems to be even more so, so far. Um, so what's the, I guess, of the receivers, who are the ones to watch out for? And do you think they will be a factor in this game coming up against Tulsa? Well, if they want to have a chance to win, they're going to have to be a factor. The passing game is going to have to be a factor at some point. Um, 
it's it's weird because Again, this is one of those things that just has me, you know, completely baffled. Part of it, and again, Hammond pointed this out immediately after the Nebraska game, that there were six first-half drops. Now, you know, I'd watched the game. Um, there were also some throws by Lombardi that weren't necessarily on target, and there were some that – and that's what really got me shook me watching it if I were an NIU fan is like some of his throws like he'd have a guy in space like you know they do the little throw to Casper Rukowitz who um we'll, we'll circle back to him in a second it'll be a little throw to to Rukowitz like that but it'd be a little high so you know you'd have to jump up for it and by the time he set himself that gave the players time to form him or if it'd been a little lower uh, you know that happened like two or three times that I had noticed the different guys uh, just throws just being slightly off that you don't normally see uh, Lombardi, or at least in, in 2021 when they won the MAC title, see uh, Lombardi uh, miss, like, miss like that. I put quotes around that because, you know, it's not like they were bad, bad, but it was just slightly off. So Casper Rukowitz is the one that very clearly Lombardi feels the most comfortable with at this point. Uh, by far, I think he has the most catches on the team. Um, the, the big question mark with the receiving group is uh, Trayvon Rudolph. I mean, this is someone who two years ago, he missed all the last year. This is someone who two years ago in 2021 had, I want to say, he set a single game NIU and MAC record with 314 receiving yards in a game. Man. <laughs> yeah, he and Lombardi just went nuts. And it was it was toward the end of the season. He, it didn't like peter off afterwards. He was still doing things. He was having huge games. Not yards, obviously, but um, he, he was having huge numbers. One target against Nebraska uh, for five yards. Um, and, yeah, and it's so that that's a whole thing that's um, also in the list of things that are baffling about this team. Um, he's sitting there. I mean, that, that's, you would think a bomb ready to go off at any point, but we're now into week three and, and no, none of the explosives on the offensive side have uh, gone over because there, there's a whole minefield out there of uh, potential weapons that they have. And, you know, it just hasn't you know, exploded to run that metaphor into the ground. Yeah. Do you think that's a, a symptom of Hammock not wanting to be – like he's being overly cautious a little bit with the offense maybe early in the season or something like that? Or is it something totally different where he's just, it's just they're trying and it's just not hitting. I mean, he's always been what you would qualify as a more conservative play caller. That said, what I did like in the 2021 run is like they would go for it on fourth down a lot. And like, like they go for a lot of twos. That's what started the whole run they had in 2021 against Georgia tech. They went for the win. They went for two late in the game to get that win. So like from that aspect, he's very not, if he thinks he has the tools, he'll, you know, go for fourth downs like a lot, or he'll go for the two in uh, situations where you wouldn't conservatively or, you know, what the card tells you to do, where he'd make a, a more uh, aggressive play call. But when it comes to the actual, you know, um, the actual play calling and, and stuff, it, it, that's where he tends to run a little more conservative. Uh, overall in general so i don't think this year is necessarily any more conservative or not i, I do think it's a, it's a little more execution wise than than anything else at this point gotcha that makes sense um so we'll see how it goes on saturday but i'm excited to see if anything does change up significantly in that game um let's look to the defensive side here uh dc is nick benedetto um before i ask this question how long has he been there now 
This is his second year. He came on board as a defensive backs and co-defensive uh, coordinator last year. Okay, gotcha. So what kind of scheme is he running? Is it the same as you were doing last year? Um, and are there any you know significant differences from year one to year two of that defense? Yeah. No, I mean, it's pretty much the same same defense that they run. You know, they, they, they got their Husky back. They, they want to be aggressive in the uh, in front seven. Um, obviously, I, I mentioned it earlier, their, their defensive line is just feasting this year, just uh, really doing a good job. Um, uh, probably a strong point of the defense. The secondary, but the, the, the secondary played at this level last year would have been great for them because it's not like they're 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 lights out like top line but they're they're fine they're good <laughs> and that's uh with the front seven that's that's just what you need uh, not get burned on every play and that's what was pretty much happening last year and it's what they've changed this year so it, it's making a huge defense of course uh, the defense has not been the problem uh for why uh, they have uh lost the last two weeks right so in terms of folks to watch out for, for Tulsa fans, if you're looking for a, a Husky to watch on that, that side of the ball, that's the most exciting to you, or a few guys that are the most exciting, who are the big names to watch for on the, on the defensive side? Oh, pick a defensive lineman, man. They, they, any one of them can make a play. Uh, Ray Thomas is, is really, really fun to watch. He, uh, he has a couple sacks this year. I, I can't find off. I know he has, but I know he, he's done really good. I think um, uh, Devontae O'Malley on the line has been uh, excellent and yeah yeah I mean again just just pick a lineman I mean they 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 get through they I don't know what the Tulsa offensive line is looking like but I, I hope you guys are having a good year up there for your guys sake <laughs> fortunately we we are we don't have that many strengths uh on the team so far so far this season statistically but um one of the brighter <laughs> spots has been the offensive line so that'll be a good battle I'm looking forward to that yeah no that should be very interesting totally um Cool. So if you were, you know, you mentioned the D-line, very, very good for you guys. Uh, the secondary, pretty solid. Is the weakest part of that defense, you know, the back end, like the safeties? Is it? Is it the Is it the linebackers? If you were Tulsa, how would you try to attack NIU's defense? Nebraska had a lot of success. I'm granted it's a you know, larger school and everything, but um, Nebraska had a lot of success running the option. Um, it, it was weird. Uh NIU's been better against it than they showed. Although they did eventually clamp down, but that seemed to be uh, the quarterback scrambled, made some plays, did some things that, that caught him off guard. I still think that the best way to uh, get to NIU is to challenge the secondary, though. To, to, to go deep if you use the run to set that up, uh, to, to, to pick on the corners, pick on the safeties. I mean, if you, if you do it enough and you do it well enough, eventually you're going to uh, – be able to take advantage at some point. The problem is, is the line makes it very hard to uh, have any amount of time to uh, pick it apart. So that that's uh, the complimentary football. I think coach Hammock likes to talk about so much. Right. So, you know, you're talking about the D line, how, how well they're doing at getting to the quarterback. Is it, is it more of the D line, like by themselves, those four, you know, three, four guys get into the quarterback often, or are you bringing a lot of, like blitz blitz pressure very often all game or how's that looking it hasn't been the most uh blitz pressure it really yeah i mean there's some obviously but it hasn't been the most it's just they're you know they're filling the gaps and shooting gaps and doing all the the technical things that you know linemen are supposed to be doing to succeed in there 
they're doing that very well. And that's, I think, reading between the lines, or I'll just, I won't put words, I'll just say it from the fan standpoint, I know that much, that that's what's so frustrating about it is, is this is exactly the conversation just flipped of what it was last year with, with essentially the same, most of the same offensive and defensive players. And it's just flipped now. I mean, you know, this is how we were talking about the defense last year. This is how we're talking about the offense this year and vice versa. Like I said, it's, it's still, I want to say it's three. I think all the linemen were on the team last year. Three of them were starters. So, and one of them had significant play. So it's, it's just, yeah, weird, strange, <laughs> inexplicable. <laughs> Yeah, bizarre, man. That'll be, I mean, I'm pretty excited to watch this game just because of all that stuff. Like, I have no idea what to expect out of Northern Illinois. Like, I have some idea what I think might happen, but also there, I feel like there's a chance that, like, it could all just flip this game and we have no clue. So, we will see. You can flip it literally any point. I I thought it was, well, at Southern Illinois, you thought it would continue. They would build off the momentum of Boston College. Whoops. So then, okay, well, they bounce back. I mean, I mean, you get bit. The, the last time they played Southern Illinois here, it's why it's been 16 years since they played Southern Illinois. Okay, you move on. Nebraska's down. They, his, Matt Rule, historically, teams are just awful in year one. It's it's years two and three where they get better. Um, they haven't shown anything. Their weaknesses or NAU strengths. Okay, here we go. This is the, now the offense one. No. So now it's like, okay, well, are we just waiting for this to flip here? I don't know. I think it's going to happen at some point. It should happen at some point. But, I mean, trying to guess and, you know, it has become just, just a fool's errand at this point. Yeah, interesting. So I don't know. We'll find out on Saturday, but good to know. Good stuff. Um, we're closing in on half an hour here. So anything else on the – you know, offense, defense, game plan kind of thing you want to touch on before we move to some questions on the coach and uh, listener questions and close it out? No, I think that's it for that end of it. <laughs> cool. Okay, sounds good. So let's keep rolling. Um, I do want to ask one on on Tam- Thomas Hammock. Um, he's been there for, I think this is fifth, his fifth year, uh, if I saw yeah. that correctly. Um, ups and downs, you know? I know that I think in 2020, <laughs> pretty good season, 2021, really bad season and it's been kind no, of other way around from, other way around okay um and six. going for there oh yeah oh and six in the covid year gotcha Although that's the thing is i don't want to sound like an apologist here but i'm pretty sure he knew that that year was essentially he had a ton of freshmen anyway they were really young it was the first year really you know he had 19 with the inherited program this was the first year that was his and with covid there was like yeah well, I think he used it to play the crap out of the freshman and yeah. it was supposed to pay off in the future. And I guess it did to some extent in 2021, although here we are now. <laughs> but um, uh, so I, I'm, and I guess, a definite apologist for the, the 0-6 2020 campaign because that year was, I, I mean, you hate to go all, everything's meaningless and whatever. And you go down that can of worms, say one thing's meaningless and then, you know, starts to unravel the whole thread sweater falls apart but um that 2020 year was was not your typical year just put it that way so yes back championship in 2021 and three wins last year and we've seen this year (laughs) yeah roller coaster man that's wild so i guess let me put the question to you this way how many how many of the niu fans out there are apologists for thomas hammock and still pulling for him and how many of them are kind of getting uh, tired of, of the hammock area and 
era and hoping hoping there's you know some movement in the next couple of years or something. It's a weird situation in that there those aren't two separate circles on the Venn diagram. Like you'd think they would be, like like there's be like little to no overlap. But where Hammock is an alum, a well liked one, he was a good running back that people absolutely love to hire. He has just a genuine enthusiasm for the program that you know that, that can't be fake. Like he, well, I guess bleeding red's not a big deal. But he believes that you know he he is a, a husky through and through, and I think that buys him a lot more goodwill from the pro from the fans, and I think, but also fans going to fan, um, you know, and you, you go through you know in six year and a three and nine year and whatever the heck this year is, and, and yeah, sure you won a title in twenty twenty one, but there's some. Uh, there's some uh, calling for the the scalp in a much louder fashion than than just you know your usual malcontents who do it in week two of the first season, right? So, yeah, yeah, I got gotcha. you. So, where are you at on that scale? Are you still are you thinking he can turn this thing back around, get it turned in the right direction, or are you kind of losing losing faith slowly, slowly but surely? Oh no, I absolutely think. Uh, again, I I can't un, I can't understand. So I guess I'm just uh, neutral in that respect. I'm just uh, a, a, not an atheist, agnostic. <laughs> Thomas Hammock is real. I'm not denying Thomas Hammock's existence. <laughs> it's, it's agnostic is the word I was looking for um, to, uh, you know, about whether he can turn it around. Or I mean, he should. It should. All the pieces are there. Everything's there something's got to click. I, I don't think it's like, I don't think it's like the effort. I don't think these are, you know, the, the typical uh, the meatball talk about kids hanging their head and not wanting it. And you're diverted. I, I think it's, um, I think it's more, like I said, just, just the little crap, the, 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 the boring, boring technical minutia that that's just, they were doing it up high before and now they're doing it down here. And I don't know. So I still, I do think that it, it should turn around. I thought it should have turned around the last two weeks. I, I still think this team is better than it has played. And there's no good reason why they played this way. So, Hey guys, cut it out. <laughs> Maybe just to say that. Hey, you'll get to them. I'm sure that'll, that'll work. <laughs> um, cool. Yeah, no, that makes sense, man. And like we, it's funny you brought up the like atheism in your coach or whatever, and not, you know, that whole discussion. We used to do uh, the same thing about Frank Haith was our basketball coach for the longest <laughs> time. And we had a, a whole segment on the podcast for a, cu- a few years, like maybe three full years where we did this kind of faith and hate thing. And by the end, it was just like straight up atheism against Frank Haith, man. Like nobody, <laughs> <laughs> everybody was ready to stop believing. Uh, I'm sure there's know. a metaphor there if you dig deep enough. Yes, but... <laughs> no, no doubt. Um, yeah, there absolutely is. But yeah, the uh, it's just just funny stuff. But cool. Okay. Um, let's, uh, let's start to close this thing. Now we're going to do a score prediction with you and then we'll, we'll close it out with a listener question from the website, um, on conference realignment stuff, but that seems like uh, probably a good one to end on. So let's do score predictions first. And I saw that when the line opened on Sunday, it was a Tulsa as a four point underdog in this game on the road, uh, against Northern Illinois. I think last I checked, which was last night, it was down to three and a half. So basically, you know, 
effectively the same. Um, so we'll, uh, Matt's Matt's making pointing, but not saying anything. I don't it's know what back, that means. It's, it's back to four. Okay, How back to four. Oh well, you know, I would grab those points. Those are looking tempting. <laughs> hey, I you mean, said by the way, you said said score prediction. I'm predicting thirty four fourteen. I'm not. I don't. One of the teams will win thirty four fourteen. I love that. I love it. I don't know which one. I'm not being like boy here. Like, oh, I don't. It will be a thirty four fourteen game. <laughs> <laughs> Write it down. Mark it down. I mean, hey, if you're right, that would be awesome. I'll send you. A, I'll send you like five bucks or something. That'd be <laughs> Um, 34 to 14, we've got from Eddie. I think the reason, like, it's the, another reason we don't know what to think about Tulsa's team this year, just for, just for your sake is, um, and I don't know if you've been watching any TU football so far, but we have not had the same starting quarterback in any of the three games, uh, which is I, why. Uh, Hammock had mentioned that, and uh, I haven't had a chance to uh, digest that yet from his presser <laughs> today. But, um, yeah, no, he I'm trying to remember. Is it, I think he said maybe he didn't give the names. He's a number guy. So I want to say he said he is expecting to see number one. But number one I, is the starter. He was the starter at the beginning of the year. He has played a total of like eight snaps so far. Um, he got hurt and like right away in game one. Since then, it's large, like in terms of number of snaps, it's been number seven, Cardell Williams, the backup. He mentioned uh, he him. Has, <laughs> he has looked awesome. Uh, genuinely, he has looked very good. He's a retro freshman guy. Um, and but he got hurt. He got hurt against Washington, uh, and was kind of not badly, uh, just his thumb, like bruised his hand. But it was a throwing hand. So against uh, against OU the other day, um, we started our third string guy who played a little against Washington too, and that was Roman Fuller, and he did not play well uh, against OU. Had three picks in his first four um, possessions, and ended up, you know, I guess they decided Cardell was ready to go, our backup number seven, <laughs> uh, and they put him back in there. Um, but still, we haven't seen Braylon Braxton, number one, the main guy since game one. So he, I hope, is back this week. Um, with the line being Tulsa as a four-point underdog, I feel like somebody's got some got some info that he's still not back or something. Who knows? But that's kind of been the, the deal so far for Tulsa. We have been back and forth between all of our quarterbacks and varying levels of success, to say the least, uh, between those guys. So. I hear you on the 34, 14 thing. Um, I've got it down as 27 to 17. So pretty similar, honestly, like you kind of hit the nail on the head. Um, I assume you're picking Tulsa though, right? <laughs> I'm picking Tulsa. I feel like if it's, and you know, you got to preface it. If, if it's Roman Fuller out there the whole time for some reason, which it's not going to be Cardell Williams is healthy now when he didn't get hurt against OU. Um, if it's Roman Fuller though, I'd, I'd be way more negative about that. Uh, but I'm a big believer in Cardell Williams. And if it's Braylon Braxton, who knows again, because we've only seen him for eight snaps, the, the main starter, and he threw two interceptions. In those eight snaps. Yeah. So I don't know, man, it's a, it could go either way. I'm very like tempted to bet on this game. I'm not a sports better. Really. I don't ever do it, but this feels like this feels like a winner to me. So I don't know. We'll see. I don't mean to be negative about Northern Illinois, but. Oh, I mean, if you've watched the last two weeks, it's not being negative. I mean, I never bet on sports either. And, well, I'm not going to, but the second I do, almost every time I tell someone, oh, that's free money, go ahead and take it, like it never works out. So. It flips. Northern Illinois yeah. is going to do that flip on you like you were, like you were talking about. Yeah. yeah, this would be the week that yeah. they put it together. So yeah. it should we'll be. See. It seems like absolutely it should be, but, you know, last week should have been and really should have been against Southern, too, because Southern is still an FCS school. So... Yeah. True. What you got, Matt? What are you thinking? Uh, I was going to say 30 to 24. Um, 
I think that's a little high scoring than higher score. Well, I don't know, maybe just splitting the points one side or the other. I'm just like, I think Tulsa is ranked as like the second worst defense in the country right now, partially because of the offenses that we've played. So I don't know. I feel like last year, you know, it was 38, 35, pretty high scoring. I think both teams were better offensively last year. So I'll cut it a little bit. Um, but yeah, that's, that's kind of how I see it. 30 to 24 it is. Made a note. Keep track of that. Cool. All right. So that gives our score predictions. It was 34-14 from Eddie, 27 to 17 from me, 30 to 24 from Matt. All right. Let's close this thing down. Uh, we've got a listener question on commerce realignment here. It's an anonymous one on the website. Mm-hmm. And it is, uh, here it is. How is the Mac holding together with commerce realignment? Are there teams making motions of trying to get to the next level? Where would you like to see NIU end up? I wanted to ask this because... Yeah, it's been the, you know, the general thing has just been the talk of the town for forever now. It's kind of slowing down. It seems like now it feels like we're kind of settled in, at least for this season. Um, But man, for a while there was like everybody was jockeying for position, trying to find some way to weasel their way in uh, to the power five somehow. So has that been the case for you guys or what's been the, how do you feel about Northern Illinois and the MAC? In 20 years, there's going to be two conferences in football. There's going to be one super conference with every team and there's going to be the Mac with the same 12 teams. In <laughs> <laughs> the Mac is, I, I, you know, occasionally they'll say, you got to move forward. You got to change. You got to keep up. And then nothing gets done. I think they are very content with their Tuesday games, their big paycheck from ESPN, their geography that makes sense. They found a niche and it works. And there really, you know, is no need for them to go chasing after the remnants of the 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 whack or whatever, and, and make it or have a bunch of teams bolt to try to move up half a conference. There's no clear cut uh, power five school in here, you know, uh, not not without some changes or that magic money coming for the even more money coming in so from uh, the ESPN contract, which you have for being on Saturday instead of Tuesday there's none of that there. They seem to be happy that they have found themselves uh, a situation that works and uh, it doesn't seem like it's, uh, it's going anywhere anytime soon that, that this is, this is what it is. So you think if, uh, if, if Northern Illinois could have their druthers, obviously if you got some invite from a power five, I feel like you had to, you, you'd had, you you would have to take it. Um, Plus, just for the money alone, like, right? Yeah. Uh, like, uh, barring that, you know, uh, of the other G5 school of uh, leagues or anything, you think NIU is happy where they're at right now? No, like, you know, internal debates on, oh, we should move to the, the Sun Belt or, you know, I don't know, something yeah. ridiculous. Yeah, no, I I think the Mac, they uh, they get along, you know, this <laughs> is yeah. they, it, it's a level of self-awareness. It's really just uh, you should applaud, frankly, <laughs> that um that, that they know what they are. They did try to bring in, I want to say Middle Tennessee State, Western Kentucky, like last year. Uh-huh. I, I want to say I got all those directions right. In fact, the one that's in Bowling Green, because it could have been the Battle of Bowling Green. That is Western Kentucky, right? Yeah. So I think that's what it was, Western Kentucky and uh, Middle Tennessee State. They, they tried bringing in. Those guys fit the bill. That works. That, that makes sense. But I mean, again, I don't think you're going to see Akron and Ohio splinter off and, and go, like you said, join the Sun Belt. Or here, you know, I know, and I use a little bit of a redheaded stepchild be, uh, geographically being uh, out in 
way out west in Illinois <laughs> compared to the other teams. But uh, I still, you know, it works. They're happy. They don't have to worry about this nonsense. And I, I believe the, the cash flow is is not bad from uh, it's yep. as good a situation as they're going to find. Awesome. Makes sense. Cool, man. Well, we'll call it there. Um, thanks for joining the show. As always, it really enjoyed talking to you last year. Likewise, again, this year, a lot of fun. Um, before we let you go, how can people uh, find your stuff? And um, where are you? Where's the Daily Chronicle? All that. Uh, daily, uh, daily-chronicle.com. Um, obviously, the best uh, way to find uh, NIU stories uh, on the artist formerly known as Twitter, DDC Eddie Carifian. Sounds great. And we'll have, uh, we'll have links to your profile and to the daily Chronicle in the podcast description. If people want to check out what you're writing before the game, anything like that. So again, Eddie, appreciate you really enjoyed it. Thanks for coming on the show. And hopefully, uh, we'll talk to you again soon. I don't, I don't know if TU has any scheduled games against Northern Illinois coming up, but nah, this, this was it. This was the home at home. <laughs> yeah, okay. So maybe we'll uh, talk to you again. I'll miss you. I come on as your Mac expert. <laughs> yeah. You play in like Ohio in three years. Honestly, probably will. Cool, man. All right. Thanks again. And we will uh, have a good one on Saturday, I hope. Well, let's all hope so. Thanks. <laughs> yeah. All right. Thanks. See ya. All right. Thank you once again to Eddie Carifio from the Daily Chronicle to Calb County, Illinois. Um, always a blast talking with him. He's just a character, man. I remember when we had him on last year. Also really enjoyed that. Good guy. Knows what he's talking about. Um, excited for the game. I think this is, as we kind of alluded to several times in that interview, I think kind of all three of us are feeling like to you should win this game. He was very down on, on NIU uh, more down than I expected, even though he did give us a little bit of a warning that he's just not feeling great about this team right now. Um, so I think we should like, I haven't made the bet yet, Matt, but like of the game, I, I feel like I've made comments that of all of these games so far, I've almost done it being four point underdog to a Northern Illinois team that has looked bad so far this year, aside from one game. Um, I think I might, I think I'm probably going to pull the trigger on this one. So we'll see. But anyway, I'm feeling very good about it in general. I think we'll probably win it, uh, which means we cover that spread because we're underdogs and feels good to me. How are you feeling? Yeah, no, I'm in a similar, um, this is not a gambling podcast and, um, I will neither, I will not condone the act of gambling. Um, I personally only play sports contests, uh, through sleeper. Um, I do not gamble. Um, sometimes <laughs> yeah. I win some money for the, from these contests, which is exciting. Um, all that being what said, happens the other times, Matt, um, the money that sleeper gave me goes back to sleeper. Um, I'm actually, I'm actually, I, I have all my money. I have all of my money back that I put in at this point. So I'm playing with sleeper house money uh, in these contests. So anyways, tangent. Um, Yeah, I was looking at it. I am very tempted to take the money line. I think it's like, you know, obviously Tulsa is an underdog. So I think we're going to win straight up. So yeah, definitely tempting to uh, take that and make a little bit and celebrate a win. (laughs) Very nice. All right, let's uh, let's keep going here. Um, get into around the American a little bit. Take a look at what happened in the conference this week. I liked how we did it last week. Biggest win, worst loss. 
WTF results of the week, things like that. Start off with the record. Um, there was a conference game last week. Uh, first one, I think, of the year, and that was Navy-Memphis. Um, so we're going to not count that in the record. Uh, Memphis ended up winning that game by like three or maybe four. It was really close. Uh, the AAC went five and seven last week outside of the Navy-Memphis game. Winners were Temple beating Norfolk State, Tulane beating their rival in Southern Miss, North Texas beating Louisiana Tech, SMU beating Prairie View, and Rice beating Texas Southern. The losers were UTSA losing to Army, us obviously losing to OU, South Florida lost to Alabama, East Carolina lost to App State, Charlotte lost to Georgia State, UAB lost to Louisiana, Florida Atlantic lost to Clemson. Another kind of downer week for the American. Um, but let's get into it here. Let's go with the biggest win first. And obviously, like like we did last time, Matt, if you've got a differing opinion or just want to add some color, please do. Uh, biggest win, in my opinion, Tulane beating their rival, Southern Miss, 21 to 3. Not an unexpected win by any means, but you might remember last year's Tulane team. They were 11 and two or whatever at the end of the year and won the, I think it was the cotton bowl um, over USC and Southern miss was not good last year. And Southern miss was one of those two losses, which is so the other one was a pretty solid UCF team. So Southern miss got them last season, not being good. And Tulane took care of business this time. Also without Michael Pratt for the second week in a row, he's still out with an injury. So they beat him handily without their starting quarterback. Nice revenge win for Tulane. And they look pretty solid and they look, they'll be awesome once, once Pratt returns. But I thought that was the biggest one in a week that didn't have very many big wins. Um, so shouts to Tulane for picking that one up. Yeah. The, so the one that kind of sticks out to me is the North Texas win over Louisiana tech, uh, North Texas, you know, after their kind of disappointing game against Cal in week one, mm-hmm. where they ended up losing like 58, 21 there. So North Texas, not a great defense. Like they've given up 58, 46 and 37 um, trending in the right way for them, but their offense, like 40 points this week, 39 last week. So they seem to have figured something out offensively, um, which just makes me, you know, look at that game a little bit more nervously um, because they're getting better on offenses. Our defense is kind of getting worse. So if I'm looking at this purely in a, you know, what is the biggest game that impacts my future thoughts about Tulsa football? It's that game that kind of scares me a little bit. Um, and yeah. and South Florida being tied with Alabama for as long as they <laughs> yeah. are. Is South Florida actually a top 25 team? I mean, you tell me. Could be. Could be. Is On Alabama the, uh... actually a top 10 team? No. No, it does not look like it. But who knows? You know, you never know. On the North Texas uh, comments, I, I'm looking at their their little box score right now. It was 30 to 14. North Texas going into that fourth quarter. Louisiana Tech scored 23 points in the fourth to make it a game. Um, and North Texas squeaked it out at the end. Uh, but I know some UNT fans on Twitter were not happy with how that ended. Uh, also, the other note on UNT so far, North Texas, they we are the number 132 defense. North Texas, very bottom. Number 133, they're the only team statistically via, uh, according to SP plus that has a worse defense right now than Tulsa. So the American that, baby holding up the game, no defense reputation. Okay. What is North Texas in SP plus overall? Do you know? I have them up right here. They are number 100. Okay. 48th ranked offense. Okay. So honestly, 
So looking at them and looking at their level of competition that we've played, I think North Texas is a, a decent comp for what we can expect out of Tulsa for the rest of the year. Um, I think we'll be better on defense because uh, we've played two really good defenses and are still better than they are defensively, whereas they've played, sorry, played two really good offenses. Um, and they have played FIU, who is, oh, what are they offensively? 97th uh, in SP plus, And then looking at Louisiana, I have no idea what they are in SP plus in terms of like what their acronym is. 72 offense, 128 defense, 96th overall. Okay. So North Texas is the worst defense playing these below average offenses. So hope gives me a little bit of hope. (laughs) Me too. Feeling all right. Um, Worst loss. There's a, again, I, I said already, not a great week for the American for the second week in a row. Worst loss. I don't know. There weren't any that were like, oh my God, that is awful. But I thought UAB losing to Louisiana by 20 at home was, the, again, the most disappointing loss, which is how I'm looking at this one. Um, it was 34 to 3, Louisiana, at the end of the third quarter. Okay. 34 to 3. Final score is 41 to 21. UAB scored almost all of their points in garbage time at the end of this game. Louisiana is not that good. UAB has fallen all the way down to number 104 in the SP Plus rankings. Not a good outlook for the new to the conference Blazers over there. Really sucks for them. And like they were excited about joining the American. I'm sure they still are. Everybody in the American were, was looking at UAB as like a good replacement team. You know, one of the few that people were excited about uh, really across the board to bring them in. And they're a team that, you know, three years ago, they won Conference USA. They were solid the last two years and they're not looking very good um, so far this season. So bummer about UAB. I'm giving them the worst loss, in my opinion, 20-point loss at home. Honestly, really more than a 20-point loss because, like I mentioned, they scored almost all of those points in the fourth in garbage time. So disappointing for them um, and hoping they can figure it out here soon because I like them. I want them to be good. Yeah, FAU had a pretty bad loss. Um, not to Clemson uh, of their starting quarter. Oh, yeah, true. For the year. So torn ACL, so they are down to... Their second string, but probably more in a more permanent s- situation compared to us. Um, yeah, that, that's kind of the only other one. ECU just not looking great. Um, a 15 point loss to App State, not bad. App State, you know, is always one of those names in the Sun Belt that kind of comes up as, you know, gives somebody a scare every year. This year it was UNC. Last year it was UNC. Um, But still, they've just looked pretty bad. Yeah, I mean, App State, 75th in SP Plus right now, so not awesome by any stretch. And East Carolina said at 0-3, which is, I mean, we talked about them being 0-2 last week, which is how, you know, nobody really thought they were going to be down there uh, necessarily, but no one thought they were going to be 0-3 after these first three games. So, Tough deal for them. Um, and yeah, on FAU's quarterback, just to clarify, the quarterback is Casey Thompson. Um, if you're familiar with the name, he's a big name quarterback. He was formerly the starter for a couple of weeks at Texas. He also started at Nebraska for a couple of weeks. Uh, now he is here um, hanging out in Florida Atlantic, hoping for a rebound year. 
under Tom Herman and now he's done and that's probably his last season. So that is a shitty way to go out, you, you know, potentially have your last season of your college career. Maybe he'll get a medical, you know, extra year or something, but bummer for them. Um, not that I want any success to happen to Tom Herman teams, but it does stink for, uh, for him for sure. All right. WTF result of the week for me. You mentioned it already. It's gotta be USF almost beating Alabama and they're number 10. Now I don't know what they were ranked last week, probably eight or something. Um, the reason this is the biggest, there's a lot of reasons. This is like the craziest result of the week for me. Um, but the, the biggest one is this stat. And I confirmed it when I, when I said it at first, I wasn't sure. And I said it in like on the road back from the Tulsa game. Um, but I confirmed it before this podcast had USF beaten Alabama, which they almost did. It was three to three at halftime, 10 to three in the fourth quarter. Um, it would have been their first FBS win since October of 2019, October, 2019. What if after, I mean, I I knew they hadn't won in a long time, but what if their first win since 2019 (laughs) against an FBS opponent, they've beaten some FCS teams in that stretch. But what if your first win after all of that time is against freaking Alabama? That would have been the absolute funniest stat I've ever heard in college football. How did, I can't believe it almost happened. I know they were dealing with weather apparently and stuff and didn't watch any of the game because at the Tulsa game and everything and whatever, but I just cannot believe that was close. I can't believe how awesome it would have been had that happened. I so wish it would have happened, even though I still think it's funny. Like the longer USF goes without being an FBS team, the funnier it is. Although it's starting to get just sad. Um, But man, how awesome would it have been if that had been the stat first win in four seasons or four years almost. And it comes against the, one of the best teams of all time and not teams, but programs of all time in Alabama would have been so sick. Yeah. The fact that the best quarterback had 87 yards is just (laughs) insane to me. And like speaking of that, even was that Alabama's quarterback or South Florida? I don't even know. South Florida. Oh my God. Alabama had two guys who combined for 107 yards um, but neither of them had Damn. more than 75 God, between them. Awful. So I know they were flipping between their two backups. They didn't even, apparently Milrow didn't even play. Right. That's what I heard. Their main guy was like Buckner that, and some other dude, I don't even know. Um, yeah, is that, that was the case. Okay. So yeah. Yeah. Wild. <laughs> yeah. Um, so the only other one that kind of comes up to me as a WTF type of game. And that's more. Um, because I'm looking at the box score is the army UTSA game is, is army no longer an option program? Like, why? Cause they put up 37 points because they threw 188 passing yards. Like Ooh. that does not seem like the army of yesteryear. I mean, um, there like is a, definitely 18... a trend among the military schools to like, to move a little bit away, like even Navy is passing it more than in the past because of the rule changes in the last couple of years. I couldn't tell you. Uh, I can't remember off the top of my head, like what that rule, I can't remember anymore what those were. Navy can't do something that it's relied on. I think it's in some, some way that they block, they can't do anymore um, legally. And so they've moved away from run, run, run all the, all the game long. Um, so this has certainly been the case for Navy. I'm sure army is dealing with the same thing. So trying to adapt. There is an article from April in The Athletic that says, that is titled, Why Army Football is Converting Jeff Monken's Triple Option Offense to the Shotgun. 
There we go. So, it's wild. Yeah, that is weird. And yeah, UTSA also one and two now. Another really hyped team coming into this year and sitting at one and two and a loss to Army. That's tough. That's tough. All right. Anything else, Matt, before we close this thing down? Uh, Not from me. Cool. I don't think we've got anything else, so I will stop it here. Thank you, everybody, for listening to the show. As always, if you're not already, follow us um, in your podcast app of choice. Hit that follow slash subscribe button. You'll get updates whenever we put a new episode out, which is every week during the football season and basketball season. While you're there, leave a rating and a review. Written reviews, awesome. If you leave us a written five-star review on Apple Podcasts and Spotify also, uh, we will read it out live on the show. Love to see them. Love that stuff. Um, appreciate everybody who's done that up to this point. Uh, please do it. Really love it whenever, whenever we see those things. Um, we do all, Also, we do all this stuff for free, totally for free. Uh, there's no ads in the podcast. We don't make money off doing the show, anything like that. Um, all the stuff on the website's free. If you want to help us out financially, you can do that. Go to our website, thegoldenhurricast.com slash support. You'll see those ways. We've got merch out there. A um, bunch of things you can do. So go check that out. Several things. Um, and I think that's it. Finally, you can find us on Twitter slash X um, at Golden Hurricast. And if you want to send us an email instead, you can always do that. Uh, the Golden Hurricast at gmail.com. On our website also, we've got an ask a question for the show button that you can hit and uh, submit a question. We can answer it on an upcoming episode. So check that out. Thanks again, everyone, for listening. And we will talk to you next week. Stay golden.